Hey everybody, welcome to Between the Horns. It is Thursday, April 4th, about 10 a.m. Pacific time here in Agora Hills, California. Miles Simmons joined this week by J.B. Long as DeMarco Farr has literally gone fishing. In Northern California, apparently. What, his NBA team's been eliminated already? Yes. And so he's... <laughs> yeah, he's going to be out on the boat with Chuck and Kenny and Ernie and Shaq. Yeah, he, he's out there. But uh, no, it's good to have you here on the program, JB. It's been a while. Nice to see you, Miles. Uh, I think of this as two seasons, right? There is the season season, which goes from training camp until whenever you're eliminated. And then there's the off-season program. And I feel like we're about to open up that off-season program not just you know in the weight room and on the field, but also in terms of uh, the schedule release and the draft and everything that comes along with it. So vacation is over. Let's get to it. Yeah, what vacation though? Uh, honestly, uh, at least for me. So, but I mean, how is how has your off season been so far? Have you gotten to go anywhere on vacation? Uh, actually, not really. Uh, a few working vacations, uh, including this weekend when I'll bring my wife and son on, on a work trip. But uh, we're setting our sights on. Late June, early July is kind of our get out of the country, get off the grid, disappear yes. time to as, recharge for 2019 football. Yeah, right. I mean, as it is with me as well, like it's always that I always say the real NFL offseason is the time between the end of OTAs and minicamp and the start of training camp, because the only news that can really come out of that is bad. And that's that somebody has exploded their hand in a fireworks incident or has otherwise gotten arrested um, doing nefarious things when they're supposed to be off. All the more true when your team plays through the Super Bowl, right? Because yes. whatever window you might have had there before free agency and everything opens up is pretty much eliminated. So a uh, nice problem to have. I hope we have it again this time next year. Yeah, I, I do too. And it's interesting because... At this time last year, you know, the Rams were still making moves. They're making trades. I think this week, last year at this time was when the Rams traded for Brandon Cooks. And now we're in a situation where the Rams are just kind of in a holding pattern until they come back on April 15th. And I, I think it's, as you said, this is kind of a good problem to have. You know, no news right now is good news because it means that you don't have to do much in order to advance your program. Yeah, I know we're going to spend a lot of time talking about kind of roster construction, what's happened so far, what might still happen through the draft. Uh, but even driving up here today, to further your point, you know, Sammy Watkins two years ago wasn't even a blip on the Rams' radar at this point in the calendar year. So there's still a long way to go in terms of what the opening day group is going to look like for the 2019 Los Angeles Rams. And I think this is the greatest, most intriguing challenge yet for the front office all the way through their coaching staff. And I can't wait to see how they manage it. Yeah, agreed. And so let, let's get into free agency a little bit because we, we really haven't had a chance to talk with you about this stuff. So the Rams made a bunch of moves, um, sort of, you can say they're kind of minor moves. You weren't necessarily overhauling any position group, I would say. But, you know, when you bring in guys like Eric Weddle, like Clay Matthews, those are kind of your headline guys. You re-sign somebody like Dante Fowler. What would you say is the Rams' best move of free agency? Well, I don't know if this is going to surprise you, but of all the questions you'll ask me today, this is by far the easiest one for me to answer. It's Blake Bortles, and it's not close. Really? Now, in terms of the impact he might have on what happens this fall, maybe negligible. Let's hope so, right? Yes. I mean, I'm looking forward to him making five starts. Preseason one, preseason two, preseason three, preseason four, and week 17. But if he is asked to do more than that, I think he's the most important addition because you have a Super Bowl caliber team right now. You are pursuing championships in this window 
And Jared Goff, through his accomplishments and through his durability, has gotten to the point where whoever's behind him has somewhat been irrelevant. But you were walking a really thin razor in that respect. And if 16 had missed time, I don't think the Rams could have reasonably expected to go as far as they did. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a different belief inside that building. But based on what we had seen through limited opportunity of the depth chart of the Los Angeles Rams prior to now, I don't know that they're playing in Atlanta without Jared Goff taking every meaningful snap. Bortles, on the other hand, again, we hope we don't get to this point, but if something were to happen to Jared Goff between now and the new year, I think you can reasonably expect to maintain a a championship level, whether that's the NFC West, whether it's the NFC, whether it's the NFL. Uh, He hasn't checked all of those boxes, but he's checked some of them, and he's gotten his previous franchise very, very close. So I look at what it means for this year potentially and then also what it means for this draft because I thought there was a very good chance that the Rams might need to address quarterback for the first time in the Sean McVay era through the draft coming up this spring. Now with Blake Bortles, uh, you still might, but you don't have to. If there's someone you like who's available where you liked him, great. If not, you can kick that can down the road for another year. Um, So look at all the starting quarterbacks who missed time you know, over the course of the last couple of years. Thankfully, we haven't experienced that, but whether it's Alex Smith or Carson Wentz, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, Cam Newton, uh, two years ago, everyone in the city of Minneapolis except for Case Keenum, like this is a reality. Almost half the league deals with this on a year-to-year basis, and that's why I just gave you a really long answer on why Blake Bortles is the guy. No, I, I think that you make a really good point. It's interesting, though, because that is not the the position that I would necessarily think about straight off, but I think you're, to your point, the Rams do have a Super Bowl-caliber team. We, we just saw it. They were just there, right? And so if that's what you're pursuing, then it is extremely important to make sure that you can do everything in your power to keep that. And I also agree with you. I don't know that the Rams would have been playing at Atlanta had something happened to Jared Goff. You would probably would not have been able to withstand that kind of injury. And the Rams were able to withstand a lot of injuries like last year. I mean, think about it. Like, keep to leave. you didn't have him for half the season. You missed Todd Gurley for the last two weeks of the regular season, and we're still able to clinch a first-round bye. If you lose your quarterback, that probably doesn't happen, just based on the way Sean Mangan didn't have any of that kind of experience. I mean, he never has played in a meaningful NFL game. And thankfully, we didn't have to find out what the contingency plan was, whether it was to address it in-house or if that you know, scenario played out, whether there was an option externally, like a CJ Anderson was at running back that they could have got. But if, if you have to do that, you're banking on a lot of stars aligning in a very short amount of time. Now you get your backup for this year, all the way through your offseason program. Uh, he's, he's cerebral. He gets along with Jared. They have history together. Uh, you know, he's going to get all the reps that, that are available in the preseason to get as close as possible to being ready to make an emergency start. And again, uh, let's hope that he has, of all the additions, uh, minimal or, or zero impact in this upcoming season. But I think because of what could happen and because of the position that he plays, to me, that's the biggest move. No, And you know what? We saw it, look, with Nick Foles, right? And I think that's what we are basically pointing to at this point. You know, 
when you have a backup quarterback who is experienced and can come in and just run the offense effectively, but not just run it effectively, make plays when they need to be made. That can really be the difference between a, a team that is built to win the Super Bowl, actually winning the Super Bowl, yeah. and not even making the playoffs. You know, And there are not many good, experienced backup quarterbacks in this league in general. And to me, the fact that Blake Bortles wanted to be here so he could be around Sean McVay and learn more and you know become a better quarterback, that, that only speaks to this program and how much that these guys feel like they can be elevated here. Yeah, you don't want to get into a Jimmy Garoppolo, San Francisco 49er situation. Right. And, you know, the only way a quarterback gets hurt isn't, you know, specific to his offensive line, but that plays into it heavily. And when you're replacing two-fifths of your offensive line, I, I think it has to be top of mind, what if our starting quarterback is not able to play all 16 games? Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, you make a very good segue into this next topic here, which is the Rams replacing two guys on the offensive line in Roger Saffold, in John Sullivan, and two guys who were really experienced, really good veterans. But now if you have to bring in guys like a Brian Allen at center, who is penciled in there, and then a, a, a Joe Noteboom at left guard who's penciled in there, I mean, how do you think they are or are not ready for those roles? Well, I think pencil is the way to, to start, right? I yeah. mean, this time last year, if I meet anyone saying Austin Blythe, would start every game and grade out just below Pro Bowl level, right? There's a long way to go. And if it is Noteboom and Allen taking over at left guard and center, am I confident that they're going to be able to maintain the standard that's been set through a couple of years? Not necessarily, but I am really confident in Aaron Cromer and Andy Dickerson and Sean McVay and Andrew Whitworth. Um, and I think in terms of their ability, there's potential to be as good or maybe even improved at center, and hopefully not substantially worse at left guard. And center specifically, look, John Sullivan was like a supercomputer upstairs. And I don't think that can be overlooked. Maybe physically he wasn't able to execute the way that he once was. Maybe he wasn't, you know, grading out at a, at a league average. But I don't just think Allen steps in and replaces that upstairs. Maybe Goff will have to take more on himself. Maybe, you know, responsibilities are diversified across that offensive line. I'm not sure how that actually plays out. But I think it's a huge vote of confidence, and I thought of this one moment uh, in anticipation of our podcast today, that against Chicago, end of the first quarter, Sully gets hurt. I mean, those were adverse conditions unlike any the Rams had seen to that point. And it wasn't like, okay, well, Blythe has played center before, so let's slide him over. Maybe we stick Noteboom, who's a higher draft pick, in at guard. It was, no, Brian Allen, you're in at center. Right. And think about how much farther along he and the Rams are at this stage of their tenure. And I think... You know, that's probably the first moment where it crystallized for me that he's the guy. Until proven otherwise, he's going to be getting that chance this offseason. Yeah, and it's interesting because at that point, uh, really you had a guy like Brian Allen who was taking the snaps at center in practice, you know, because at that point you still had Andrew Whitworth and John Sullivan taking their vet days, and they kind of stopped doing that toward the end of the year, especially after the Rams lost those two games in a row. But to that point, I mean, it, it was, you know, Joe Noteboom was the backup for every position but center, but Brian Allen was the backup for center. And so when he had to come in and it was like, okay, the Rams, as you said, you know, they're facing conditions that were adverse as they had faced mm -hmm. to that point. 
you at least have that person that you are confident enough in and saying, all right, you're going to go do it and you have to do it. And, you know, it didn't seem to me like he did that poor of a job in that particular circumstance. I mean, there were only a few plays. And then you see later on in the year where he's playing um, more against San Francisco in week 17 and he acquits himself pretty well in that situation also. But I think right now what's interesting is what you just said about John Sullivan being a supercomputer upstairs. You know, we uh, talked to Brian Allen from Behind the Grind right. a couple weeks nice ago. Nice job with Arizona. that, by the way. Yes. I love the first two episodes. Yes, no, they've been awesome. Um, shout out to Taylor Gilkson and Sandra Steffi, who are our super producers on that. Um, but I, I, I think what was interesting, what he said in that interview was there were so many things that I didn't know that I was able to learn just by sitting behind John Sullivan for a year. And he said, I'm so much better for being able to do that. And it's interesting because you, when you think about, you know, centers and especially him coming from a pro style system, you probably think, all right, well, there's not as much that he has to learn in order to be a good center. But when you come into the league, there's still that significant step. And Jared Goff has talked about it time and time again, how good John Sullivan is at the line of scrimmage of pointing things out, calling things out. Just having sat behind him for one year, I think that really can help Brian Allen in this new role. Can Jared take some of that off his plate? I mean, I think yeah. with each year that goes along, Goff is going to have to absorb more and more of the responsibility because, let's face it, we live in a salary cap-restricted world where as you take more of that upon yourself, you also have to deliver bigger and better results. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that's something that you have to expect from your quarterback going into year four, going into year three in a system with the head coach that, you know, and everybody makes a big deal out of the fact that Sean McVay calls things in a Jared's helmet until there's 15 seconds on the on the play clock. But that I think pretty much all offensive coordinators do that, and I think that that's something that's a little bit overblown. But at the same time, when you have somebody, and the more experience they get as a quarterback, the more things they see, the less they're going to get fooled. Then Just having Jared, having been with John Sullivan for two years, I think that can only help him. And I think, as you just said, he's got to be able to call more things himself. Yeah, I mean, if, if you had to play a game this month, would it be Noteboom and Allen stepping into those two roles, those two voids? Probably. Yeah. But is that the final answer? No, I think there's a long way to go. And there's a draft between now and then, and there are more roster moves to be made across the league that might create an opportunity for you to grab someone uh, who can plug a hole, depending on how that's going. And even if those two individuals are the, you know, they're the helmets and the jerseys, I, I'm not even completely sure that they're going to be starting at the positions we've talked about so far. Like yes. a lot of that is still very much up in the air. Yes, I think so too, because I mean, at this point, two years ago, we were talking about Craig Robinson at right tackle, Rob Havenstein at right guard. And that's just not, that did not end up being close to the case for what we actually saw on Sundays. And then it, it went from Rob Havenstein at right guard to then Jamon Brown at right tackle, taking those reps and, uh, and running with, uh, going back and forth with Greg Robinson. And then, of course, the Rams traded Greg Robinson, and then they ended up flipping Rob Havenstein back out to right tackle and Jamon Brown into right guard. So, as you said, there's a lot of time for this to play out. And, you know, if you've got somebody like Aaron Cromer who understands this personnel and understands how to get the most out of it, probably better than just about anybody else in the league, except for maybe Dante Sarnecchia, who, you know, we all know how good he is with the Patriots. But if you've got somebody like that, I think there's time to trust this and trust that this process can work. 
But again, in terms of kind of the overarching point that I made earlier in terms of I think this is the greatest challenge of the soon-to-be three-year McVay staff era, you know, I think roster construction this offseason is a little bit more nuanced. It's a little bit more player development driven, and you're entering a, a period of time where you're going to have to draft and develop really, really well to maintain the standard and the win totals that we've talked about for two years now. Yes, no doubt. It's about building a program. And if the Rams can show that they are, in fact, building a program this year, then this is how you get to that level of sustained success that we see teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers have. Like, the Seattle Seahawks really have definitely had over the last few years. I mean, think about it. Last year was supposed to be a rebuilding year for them. They go 10-6 and six and conceivably could have won two more games against the Los Angeles Rams and still make the playoffs as a wild card team. You know, you see that with teams like Baltimore, right? They always seem to be reloading and not just rebuilding. And so that's where if you have guys like Brian Allen that can step in, like Joe Noteboom that can step in offensively, but also defensively too. Micah Kaiser is another guy who's penciled in to a role at this point. You know, somebody like John Franklin Myers, Sebastian Joseph Day on the defensive line. Can those guys continue to step up and step in? That That's how you build the program. Uh, but just to button up the offensive line, I mean, I, I think that's really the crux of the matter here. And thank goodness you didn't also have to replace your left tackle. Yes. I mean, in hindsight, Andrew Whitworth making the decision that he made at the outset of all of this, I mean, I amplify that twofold now in terms of its significance because of the leadership role that he plays and also just the down-in and down-out consistency that he brings from a performance level, even at his age. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there, Andrew Whitworth has been invaluable as a member of the team and as a member of the community. And I think, you know, his leadership has definitely put the Rams locker room in a very different place than when it was when this team arrived in Los Angeles in 2016. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just I just think that's absolutely the case. So when you have him and you all you if you would have had to replace him and Saffold and Sullivan, that would have been a really, really, really tough task for one offseason. Especially when you look at the defensive fronts of some of the teams in the division. And I know we'll get to this eventually, but uh, a gentleman named Bosa is likely going to land in the NFC West. Yeah. In one of two places. <laughs> spring, so. Yes. Yes. No doubt about it. Um, with the linebacker spot, I do want to talk a little bit about Micah Kaiser because he was a tackling machine at uh, Virginia. And now it is interesting. We didn't really see much of him on defense. But we saw a lot of him on special teams and it seems to me that that's a place where somebody can step up and then start making that impact from year one to year two. Somebody's going to have, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think Micah will get the opportunity. I don't know if it's first right of refusal or however you want to phrase it, yeah. but I mean, that's one of the biggest things that I'll have an eye on during this offseason program is uh, who's getting those down reps and how are they performing next to Corey Littleton? Um, because, you know, I, that's not an area that I would be surprised to see the Rams address through the draft. I don't know if it's with their first pick or one of their first couple of picks, but I think there will be more options there when we get to training camp than there are currently. Right. And that's, I, that they need that because I mean, Les Snead said this, I think earlier on in March, either right after the combine or at some point, but it, it was basically, that's a position that we have to address probably more than just getting back our own guys that, you know, from a Corey Littleton standpoint, you know, you put the second round tender on him as a restricted free agent, but then you're losing guys like you cut a Mark Barron. He's now with the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
Steelers, so we'll see him at some point next season. Um, but you also don't have Bryce Hager, who's an unrestricted free agent, and Rameek Wilson, who I thought played well, both on defense and on special teams. He's an unrestricted free agent. So, again, this is the part of the building the program, right? Can you get linebackers that can come in and make the impact and build your depth at that position? And this is a process that will go all the way through roster cuts in week one. I mean, who, who knows when a player in Rameek Wilson's tier experience level, starting experience uh, throughout the league will come available. And then you go from, all right, Mike Kaiser's your guy here or someone you draft is going to get opportunities in training camp as a rookie to, oh, no, hold on, wait a second. We were able to catch a veteran and let's go there at least to start the season and give someone else some more time to learn and develop. Right. What 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 other positions do you think the Rams might look at for the draft? The draft? As we, yeah, as we start to get into April here, this is hashtag draft season. Yeah. So before we venture into these waters, let me give my disclaimer. And you know me, I am I am not mock draft guy. Yes. Okay. Like I fully acknowledge and respect that there are men and women who spend their entire professional lives doing this. Yes. Right? Like professionally and then in kind of the amateur tier as well. Yes. Whether it's in-house, in-media, whatever. So far be it for me to say, right? <laughs> like I trust those people to do their job better than I could do it for them. Um, but from where I stand, I think it's easier for me to say the positions that I would be surprised to see them address early. Sure. Right? Unless a dream scenario were to land uh, in front of them uh, in a couple of weeks. Quarterback now, probably, with Goff and Bortles uh, solidly on your depth chart. Wide receiver going four deep at the starting level there. I would be surprised if they took an early leap on a wide receiver. Tight end, I think you kind of know who your two starters are. I mean, if if you're, again, presented with a can't-miss opportunity, sure. Um, running back, you know, we'll talk about Malcolm Brown, I know, in this podcast. Uh, I, I don't think you can ever necessarily go wrong with uh, drafting a running back every spring, uh, but maybe not early. So I would say those would be kind of be the ones. And, and their skill positions, obviously. Everything else, if there's someone you really like and he's available, you go for it. You make that call. Uh, in terms of order of urgency, I would say the trenches on both sides, whether it's offensive line or defensive line, uh, right behind that, I would say linebacker, which we've already touched down on, but not necessarily inside linebacker. I mean, linebacker level, inside or edge, yeah. would probably be next for me. And then I think even though you're probably a year away from uh, needing a starter, the secondary, whether it's corner and or safety, I mean, I think y you know where you are for 2019, but you can never have too much depth there, and you want to have – I think the long-term partner for John Johnson to learn under Johnson and Weddle this year, or, you know, faced with the possibility of losing one of, if not both your corners a year from now, how are you preparing to address that? Yeah, I think cornerback is one of the more interesting positions that the Rams could address either with that first round pick at 31 or, you know, if Les Snead trades back, like I think many of us sort of anticipate will happen, um, then that's something that can be also addressed in the second round. And it's like you said, I think what the Rams have done by the moves that they have made in free agency is set themselves up to not necessarily need a pick at 131, right? You know, they can basically say, all right, we can take the best player available and then slot whoever that is 
into whatever position that it is because you're not in dire need, I don't think, of a starter at any one spot. You have at least options that are internal for all 11 positions on both sides of the football. No, I mean, that's an, uh, an attractive place to be in the draft. At the end of the first day, we know that teams get antsy and don't want to sleep it out overnight, right? Um, and then because of the fifth-year option that comes with those final couple of picks of that opening day, uh, you, you can hardly affix a value to that. But I actually look at it the other way, where having fewer needs, you might get aggressive and you might you might try and move forward You know, in the, say, 20s if you see someone that you know can be a starter at a position that you need this year. Maybe you package something and, and go up and get a guy that you hope can plug and play. Interesting. So, because I really have not thought that much about the Rams moving up in the draft. And I guess it's because, I don't, A, <laughs> I haven't really covered a draft, like really, really covered a first round of a draft in three years, right? And it's interesting because, you know, I joined this team right at the start of the 2014 season. So, my first draft was Todd Gurley, and that was 2015. And that was the only one where it was like, okay, we got a, Rams have a first first round pick and there's really and I no anticipation for what they're going to be able to do. I mean the thought was at that time I remember going into it okay probably offensive linemen just based on the way things had gone, you know, you think that you could use some shoring up up front and they did end up picking both Rob Havenson and Jamon Brown in that draft in the in the subsequent rounds, but Todd Gurley ended up being the pick and it was kind of like, "Oh my goodness, what's going on here?" And then, you know, next year Everything since then, it's been okay. We probably know what's going to happen in the first round, right? You know, you trade up for Jared Goff on April 15th or the number one pick, but at that point, pretty much everybody knew it was going to be Jared Goff. Then 16, you don't have a first round pick. Excuse me, 17, you don't have a first round pick from that Goff trade. And then last year, you traded it for Brandon Cooks. And so then you didn't have a, for a pick for the first two rounds. And so this year, it's really interesting because there is that possibility, yes, that the Rams could trade up. And I just don't know that I've thought that much about that happening. Maybe because it, I, Les Snead has just traded back mm -hmm. so much, except for 16 when they do trade up. You know, not, up. not having second-round capital maybe makes that difficult. You might actually have to trade a, a player rather than a pick or dig into some of your third-round inventory. I'm not sure how that would all transpire. I just know that if you're getting close to 31 and there's still someone on your board that you've evaluated as a potential starter for you this fall – uh, maybe you're maybe you're more aggressive as opposed to maximizing your draft capital for the remaining days of the draft. Yeah, no, I think that's very fair. I mean, do you think that that is something that the Rams really have to take into account just based on the way the window is kind of right now where Jared Goff is on the rookie I don't th deal? I don't think they have to. I just think... I'm almost positive their phone will ring. Like, if you get into the late 20s and the early 30s, I think your phone will ring because people know that Les Snead is receptive to that. And um, for the reasons aforementioned, I think that's a really valuable place to be sitting on the tail end of the first day of the draft. Um, but I don't know what to anticipate. Again, I think even the best laid plans go out the window after an hour of the draft because of what transpires in the top two, five, ten. So, uh, you know, we can talk about it here a couple weeks out and it's all hypothetical. Yes. And that's the, that's the interesting thing to me about you know, the way they go through their draft prep. They have to go through so many scenarios, especially when you're picking at 31. Picking at 31 is so vastly different than picking at 10 because literally there's 
30 other players that are coming off the board before you. And so it's so hard to anticipate exactly what teams are going to do. Are there going to be teams that move up, that trade back, and who do they do it for? Because every team has a different evaluation on every different player, pretty much. Especially after you get past that first five, say. You know, those first five are usually the blue chip guys that everybody has, you know, very set opinions on, unless it's kind of quarterbacks. But from then on, it's like, okay, this is kind of a crapshoot. Well, I mourn your Thursday night plans from the last couple of years because you'll <laughs> you'll actually have to reserve uh, some work time, some writing time for Thursday night in April 2019. I know. I can't just go see the Avengers. It's funny. Like, cause that's the night that the Avengers comes out. And so like I was looking at movie times. So I'm like, man, you know what? I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. Save it for Sunday, Miles. Save yes. it for Sunday. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, if there is a position though that I think might surprise people that the Rams could take in the first round, I think it might be tight end. Mainly because of the production that the team has gotten out of that position for the last couple of years. And Sean McVay said some nice complimentary things about Gerald Everett uh, last week when he was at the league meetings in Phoenix. Um, but I think at the same time, if there is a guy that is out there, and maybe it's one of the two Iowa tight ends that I keep hearing so much about, that is on the board and that you feel like can really take this offense to the next level, that is a position that I think the Rams could address early. Again, it would surprise me, but uh, you know, there might be someone there that you didn't think you had any chance of falling to you at 31, and if that becomes the scenario, then you do what you think is best in terms of uh, constructing your top roster, and if it creates a position of depth for you at tight end or any other position – then you get into the summer, you get into training camp, you see what other team needs are, and you might be able to trade from a position of strength. We saw them do that at defensive back a couple of years ago to get Sammy Watkins. Uh, and that's where this is all a fluid picture, not just in terms of draft needs, but also what the eventual 53-man roster might look like six months from now. Yeah, no doubt. That That is the sort of interesting thing about April, right? It's all speculation. And that's why I think it's almost more valuable, <clears throat> excuse me, for us to talk positions than it is potential players, right? Because I I prefer the discussion where it's, okay, the Rams could address this. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you and I really are not the ones who are breaking down the college film. Like, A, we have other things to do with our time, and we, you know, we don't really get paid to do that. And, you know, if we were, the people who do and who are the experts and the analysts that do it, they, they watch so much more film than we are capable of doing because a we covered a team that went to the Super Bowl this year and B you know when you get down to those 30s picks it, it's so it's like I said it's a crapshoot you just don't know yeah I just uh, just to circle back to tight end I mean uh, again it would surprise me because I think the Rams have two starters there and they're also an 11 personnel driven team yes so if you have <laughs> two starters and a first rounder at that position if that's your depth chart Man, that'd be a, a nice problem to have. I just don't know that it's going to carry into your 53-man roster. True. Yeah. I mean, especially being an 11-personnel-driven team, that, I think, probably affects the way you have to evaluate I mean, they, they already struggled with that dynamic. It struggled in a good way. But, yes. like, how do you get Gerald Everett more reps, more opportunities? Or are you going to take Cooper Cup off the field? Unfortunately, he took himself off the field with an ACL. But until you got to that point, that was the rub. 
Yes. Yeah. And because why would you when he is clearly one of the best 11 that you can put out there on offense? So another one of those guys who is certainly one of the best 11, Todd Gurley, and so much has been made about his knee throughout the course of this offseason. We got the report from The Athletic that he has arthritis in the knee, and then Sean McVay and Les Snead have both said that they will try to monitor Todd Gurley's snaps probably better in the upcoming season than they have in the past. So where do you stand on Todd Gurley knee gate? There's only one person who can speak to it and he's not on this podcast yeah. and we haven't heard from him in a while. Uh, so I'll leave that to Todd. Um, I know this, there aren't many people walking this planet who can play the role that Todd Gurley plays in Sean McVay's offense. He should know that we know that I know his head coach knows that I know coach Pete is running back coach knows that now Will he ever have a statistical season that surpasses either of the two he just laid down at an MVP level? Even if there weren't questions about his health, I think the answer has to be probably not to that question, right? I mean, 2,100 yards and 19 touchdowns and then 1,800 yards and 21 touchdowns. I mean, we're, that's Hall of Fame stuff. And I hope that he does it next year and the year after that. And I hope he does end up in the Hall of Fame. And the Rams have invested in him and the Rams care about him, and the Rams think very highly of him. But this is uh, a tough place to be in, individually and, and at the position right now in the National Football League. And I don't know, I, I think it makes sense to manage that workload so that you do get the most out of Todd over the years that he has at peak performance left. Yeah, and because of the way the Rams have already invested in Gurley, you have to think that there is a, a, I don't I don't know how much I want to call it a level of concern, but it is it, it is a level of concern that you can continue to maintain that standard over the course of the contract. Right, he's signed through the tw early 2020s, I think 2022, after signing that extension at the beginning of training camp last year. So. When you have somebody like that, you want to make sure that you're protecting your investment, first of all, but you're also going to try to maximize the performance that you can get out of him, and you want that to happen in the biggest spots, in the biggest games. I mean, when you have a guy that has taken the amount of hits that he's taken, yes, there is going to be some level of wear and tear, regardless of if the fact that he would have had an ACL or not in college, right? That, that just... Th that's just physics, you know? When you're getting hit that much, you're going to have some kind of wear and tear there. So I think that the Rams, yes, they probably need to manage his snaps, but Todd Gurley's the kind of guy who's going to take care of his body. And you also are just going to have to be sure that the plays you're calling and the way you use Malcolm Brown is in the best way possible for this team to be as good as possible. Yeah, I just I trust the workflow. I trust the lines of communication between uh, Todd individually and, and the people who make those decisions. And I don't know that there's a firm solution or a plan yet, but I think there's a foundation for one to develop whereby he can continue to be extremely productive. He can still be a Pro Bowl level tailback. I just don't know that in 2019 or ever again, he's going to go out there and try and threaten the rushing title. Like, he can. <laughs> I think he's capable of it. I just don't know that that's best for him or this franchise. Right. I don't think it is either. And I think that's part of the reason why it seems like it was a big priority for this team to bring back Malcolm Brown, who was a player who could spell Todd Gurley last year. I mean, it, he didn't probably as much as he will this year. I think um, this year I would project just in my own head that he's probably going to play maybe 25 to 30 percent of snaps. 
And last year he was probably he was he was at about 15% of snaps when he went down um, in that Detroit game. So Todd Gurley was on the field 85% of the time. That's a lot for a starting running back. And it speaks to his production level that he was able to, you know, do what he did, score 21 touchdowns and lead the league despite not playing in the last few weeks of, of the year. But at the same time, when you have somebody like Malcolm Brown, who is perfectly capable of averaging about five yards per carry. I was stoked to see Malcolm Brown back in horns. Yes, me too. Yeah? Me too. And and that's exactly why. Yeah, and I know there's you know some angst over what about C.J. Anderson and how come that didn't work out. Look, the Rams weren't the only team that prioritized Malcolm, right? The Lions did too. And as I understand it, maybe Detroit did Los Angeles a favor in terms of um, – you know, based on the offer sheet, you now get Brown for two years instead of one at an average annual value of less than his original round tender would have paid him this season. Like, that's kind of a steal as I understand it, right? Yes, uh, that's the same way I understand it. I mean, it's pretty much a no-brainer at that point. And it was interesting because uh, DeMarco and I had a podcast. Basically, it was after the the Lions had announced that they'd signed him to an offer sheet, but it was before those terms had been reported by anybody. And so I was saying, well, if they signed him to an offer sheet, it's probably going to be hard for the Rams to match it because otherwise, why would you sign him to an offer sheet? But that yeah. offer sheet was worked out very well for the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, look, Brown played uh, almost 30% of special team snaps because – uh, C.J. Anderson, you know, got in late. You know, he didn't play. I don't think a single down on special teams. So you have to calculate that value in too when you're constructing your roster. And you know, I, I apologize for all my pregnant pauses when we first dove into this conversation, but it's it's a little uh, sensitive for me. It's a little fragile right now, the running back position, because while I do think the Rams have one of the best in the game, and we're right to make him their future, when you see like Chicago trade Howard to Philadelphia for you know, a couple of footballs and a jersey in return, I, I think we're back to where we were before some of these contracts started getting handed out, where it's like, what really is the value of a starting caliber running back in the league right now? And, you know, nothing against C.J. Anderson, but, like, teams weren't, like, busting through doors to sign up his services either, and maybe they should have been, and I hope for C.J.'s sake that he proves everyone who didn't give him a contract wrong, um, and he goes out there and has a Pro Bowl caliber year. But I just think uh, the caution that not just the Rams, but all teams are demonstrating towards that role right now, you have to be, I think, on the whole happy to have Malcolm Brown back and maintain that continuity. Yes. And, and also, if, if you try to squeeze them both in, I don't even know if that was possible, but like, where's John Kelly then? Like, are, are you ready to let go of that project or do you still think there's potential there right 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 and i think you have to think there's still potential there i do yeah, I, yeah certainly uh, based on what he was able to do in college now i think there probably was a, a welcome to the nfl kind of aspect to john kelly's season oh he's got year. work to do yes especially in that chicago game right you know and so there is that but then there's also okay how can the Rams show, again, that they're building a program? How can he take that next step in his development and perhaps carve out a role for himself offensively? And it's because Les Snead said, again, in, in March, that there's always been this aspect of Sean McVay's offense that he would like to have with a kind of running back who can be dynamic out of the backfield. And I'm not saying Todd Gurley is not, but Lance Dunbar was signed, remember, you yep. know, back, and that mm -hmm. didn't quite work out because of Lance Dunbar's injuries. But 
the thought there was, okay, he can come in and he can be a real good receiving option out of the backfield. And I think guys like Todd Gurley obviously can catch the ball out of the backfield. We've seen that countless times over the last couple of years. Malcolm Brown showed that he's capable of catching the ball out of the backfield, made one of the best catches of 2018 down there in New Orleans in the game that the Rams eventually lost. But you also, I think, could have something from John Kelly, who has shown that he is a shifty kind of back. He's a smaller guy, not necessarily going to run you over, over, but he can evade tacklers and so can he be that kind of guy out of the Rams backfield that's something that they're definitely going to try to explore not just that miles but if if I were advising Kelly I would make it my utmost priority to not miss a single protection assignment throughout this entire offseason program no doubt I would come back for this year and I would try to demonstrate to my position coach my coordinator my head coach that I am ready to be in and pick up any blitz that's coming. And if you choose me at any point in any given game, your quarterback is not at risk. Yes. Because everyone focuses on the rushing yards and the touchdowns that C.J. Anderson was able to deliver in December and January. Very important. But the first priority was making sure that number 16 was going to be available for the NFC Championship game and for the Super Bowl. I mean, that's why they had to go out and get help at the running back position because Todd is elite in that category. And Malcolm maintains that continuity. I mean, I think Goff and McVay trust those two as much as any running back tandem in the National Football League. So if you want to break into that rotation, you better check that box. Yes, and it, that was one of the things that C.J. Anderson did super well, and he always said it was in part because of who he played with in the past, and that being, he always called him 18, Peyton Manning. Right. Right, you know, he was the running back that the Broncos leaned on very heavily when they ran, when they won Super Bowl 50 back in that 2015 season, and, you know, I can remember C.J. Anderson running down the left sideline to beat the Patriots in that snow game that they had on Sunday night football and so he he had that championship caliber experience and he was able to come in and do pass protection very well and I think the only assignment he missed was probably his first blocking <laughs> assignment that he had in Arizona and it turned into a sack fumble from golf but after that he was just fine in that position I mean to me that almost punctuated the need right yes it's because the first rep he got in that situation it was like okay this is why they went external <laughs> to try and keep this on the rails for the new year. Yes, yes, exactly. So when you look at the offseason program now, um, you mentioned John Kelly and pass protection. What what other things do you think the Rams have to work on here? Well, you know, I think we get too caught up in um, in the touchdowns and the point scoring and the, the thrilling victories along the way in a season like the Rams just had. And you de-emphasize the foundation that was laid at this time of year and the fundamentals that were taught and bought into by the players that allowed you to do things like finish fourth uh, in the National Football League and turnover margin and back-to-back -back seasons in the top 10. And for a franchise that preaches like it's about the ball, like I think this is the time of year where you practice those skills and you stress those moments in games and the techniques that allow you to get takeaways and and not cough up the football um, along with footwork and and so many other things that I mean this is the this is the humble quiet time of year where the work that you put in will eventually pay dividends but it's it's not really exciting yes <laughs> and you have to really love the game and love that grind to eventually be a, a division champion or an NFC champion or a Super Bowl champion and I think that's the caliber of person and player that the Rams are looking for in recent years. And I, I think, 
you know, look, I'm excited to see where's Cooper Cup's rehab at. And, uh, you know, I think it's critical times for someone like Obo Karankwo, who, when he finally was healthy, there just there wasn't time and there weren't pra- practice reps available for him to get up to NFL speed or to demonstrate to his coaching staff that he was ready for that or for his coaching staff to even spend time with him on the reps and the techniques that it would take. Now there are those moments. And so, you know, for soon to be second year players, I think this is the most exciting time because what work have you put in away from the facility to get ready for your next step? And then what can we do as an organization to bring you along to make someone like Micah Kaiser a starting linebacker or, or to get Oboe some situational pass rushes or things like that. Yeah, yeah. It's all about that situational master stuff that Sean McVay talks so much about, and it's on the walls in the facility. This is where, as you just said, JB, you start to lay down the foundation for that. And it's this kind of time where, especially now that you've had a coaching staff that has had two se- two full seasons to off-season programs to implement things. Now you're in a situation where it's like, okay, you're you're going from like advanced math to calculus, right? In the offense, you can really start building upon different things that you've done in the past, and to have the same offensive core basically that you've had for now three seasons. When you're talking about guys like Goff, like Gurley, you know, Robert Woods has been here, Andrew Whitworth has been there for all this time, and even really on the offensive line, it's not like and yes, the the draft can still come and they can still implement a rookie, but guys like Joe Noteboom, Brian Allen up front, they've still been in the system, so they can also build upon what they've already learned. I think that is so important, having all of that continuity within the building so that you can keep building upon what you've already been putting on film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's not sexy. It's not like headline-driving time of the year, but I know the coaches relish it. And I think for players who see maybe their first major professional opportunity in front of them, this is the time. I mean, you got to come in with a full head of steam in the next couple of weeks because then there's a draft class coming next. (laughs) And then there'll be a a training camp roster who, if you're not going to seize that opportunity, they want to leapfrog you and take it from you. Yes. Yeah. There are going to be a bunch of people coming in trying to take a job from you. And so as the Rams roster stands right now, there's about 65, I think 67 players on it at this Mm -hmm. point. And so that means in order to get to 90, right, there's still going to be a good 25 probably rookies, undrafted guys, guys who get cut from other places. They're all going to come in and they're all going to start to try to really compete with you. And if you can show that you have made a lot of progress over the course of the offseason, right, guys like Obo Okoronkwo, what can we really do now to help teach you and help get you in on the field for some situational pass rushing because of all the injuries and everything you weren't able to do last year? Okay, that means that now this rookie that's coming in, eh, he probably is not going to be able to take your job, right? But if you have not done put in the work for yourself, and you're not really attacking everything that comes along with getting in the classroom and getting out on the field, doing all that conditioning work right now, like that, that's going to, that's, what's really going to set you back. You know, it's all about the self right now. The opponent is the self. Can you defeat the self? And so that's what makes this time of year so interesting. Yeah. Um, the, let's go, let's go a little bit around uh, the NFC West too, okay. before we get out of here. And cause I, I like this Kyler Murray, in Josh Rosen's situation in Arizona, 
is so intriguing to me because you don't often see, I don't think I've ever seen actually a team take a quarterback in the first round and then immediately give up on him the next year. I don't know what they're doing. I'm still, (laughs) I'm still not completely convinced that they're actually going to do it, but it sure looks like they're going to do it. Yeah. I mean, there's so much smoke around this that there almost has to be fire. Uh, Look, part of this is because I've, Covered Josh as a collegiate, and I think very highly of him. And I think he is a starting caliber quarterback, maybe even an above average starting caliber quarterback. And I think, uh, having been familiar with some of the rookie situations that he found himself in last year, uh, it's a shame to see them give up on him. As an opponent of the Arizona Cardinals, I'm not necessarily upset if they choose to go with first year head coach rookie quarterback, uh, and if they choose to give up on someone of Josh Rosen's skill set. Um, I'd feel a lot better about it if there wasn't another NFC West team waiting to take Bosa right behind them, <laughs> because I, you know, you're not going to dodge that one. It doesn't seem. I don't know what's what's your take. Like, are they going Kingsbury Murray here? I like, mean, is this the start of a new future for Arizona? It it seems like it almost has to be. But even like with the precedent of Jared Goff and Mitchell Trubisky, like, I know. That's that's where that's where it gets really interesting to me. And I remember seeing this tweet um, from Vinny Bonsignor of the Athletic, and it's, he said that he had talked to you know a couple of NFC West executives, and basically what they had told him was that if I'm an opponent of the Arizona Cardinals, which quarterback would I rather face? It, you know, for all the coming years, and the quarterback I would rather face is probably Josh Rosen, which means. Kyler Murray it, to them is a scarier prospect, which is interesting because, okay, how does his skill set really transfer to the NFL? A, he's faster than everybody, which is huge. And so, yes, if you've got that running quarterback, great. That's one element of it. But when you're talking, I think, again, head coach, rookie quarterback, it just it, it makes it way tougher. It just does. And even with all of the bad experiences, I suppose you could say that Josh Rosen had last year where, I mean, that Arizona game that the Rams played in Arizona, Arizona's best offensive play was basically Josh Rosen running for his life mm-hmm. away from Aaron Donald, right? Like, and he's Aaron Donald still got three sacks in that game. So when you have somebody who's already experienced that and there's only one way for him to go, that's up. And, you know, I watched a good amount of his games, too, having been out here when he was going through his last couple years of college. And I think he's a very talented quarterback as well. So it's about this. Okay, can you really who would you rather build with? I guess is the question that they're trying to ask themselves. Right. Is the question they probably are asking themselves right now. And with all the smoke, it's like, all right, I think it's Kyler Murray, which is just so interesting. I don't know, man. Maybe, I, maybe I'm just not as big a believer in Kyler or any rookie quarterback. I just it, part of it too is like, what are you going to get in return for Josh? Like, I think that should factor in heavily. I think if Josh was coming out in this class, like if he had just completed his UCLA tenure and you didn't know what you know about him as a pro, I he might be the number one overall pick again. He's certainly like the top five, top ten pick, I believe. But it doesn't sound like they're going to get a high first round pick in return for him, at least not at this stage. No so way. to me, that's also perplexing in terms of uh, why is he, I mean, he already fell in the draft, right? What do you say? Like, I'm going to make the 10 teams and the nine teams that didn't take me like pay. Like, I don't know. I, I think Josh Rosen will find a home and be a successful 
pro quarterbacks somewhere. Of course, I also thought that Jimmy Clausen was the most accurate college quarterback I'd ever seen and would say a lot of the same things about him a decade ago. So what do I know? <laughs> well, I mean, that's okay. We don't, we don't always uh, get it right. Right. I mean, especially those of us who don't say I, either way, the, the future, the quarterback complexion of the NFC West, whether it's Murray or Rosen for years to come, especially if, you know, Seattle gets this Russell Wilson deal done, which I can't imagine why they wouldn't. You know, Wilson, Garoppolo, Goff, and whoever it is that Arizona decides to roll with. I mean, that's as strong a quarterback conference as any in football. Yes. No, no. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what you said about Russell Wilson, look, this whole contract situation there is interesting to me because it, it, Seattle Times reported basically that Russell Wilson kind of gave this ultimatum where, hey, I need a new contract by April 15th. And then it also then came out was that, oh, well, you know, if I'm Russell Wilson, I'll still be at all the offseason programs. So that's really not an ultimatum. But and also these contracts that the mega deals and things like that, they usually get done in the summer. Right. Uh, after the draft, mm-hmm. after the offseason program, after OTAs. So I just thought that this art, this date of April 15th, like that's tax day, bro. That's very artificial. <laughs> like it's not it's not usually the time where those things happen. But, you know, I. As you said, I don't see Seattle doing anything but making Russell Wilson the highest paid player in the NFL. At least for a few months. I mean, it's his turn. Right. And when you have those credentials and your quarterback contract comes up, you leapfrog whoever it was before you. Dan, yes. it, is it Aaron Rodgers right now? I think so, yes. So that's the number to beat, and I'm sure he'll beat it. And in many ways, I, I think that makes sense. Like two seasons ago, I think he was responsible for throwing or running for all but one of Seattle's offensive touchdowns. Right. I mean, it was as close to having an MVP season on a team that didn't make the playoffs as I think you'll ever get. On the other hand, is it also a bit paradoxical paradoxical to have the highest paid quarterback in football when you're the team that runs it more than any team in football? Mm, maybe, but at least he is a running quarterback. Yeah, I mean... And and he's still he is a team. Excuse me, he's a guy who knows how to make plays in clutch situations. And that's what I think you kind of pay for, you know, and he's won you a Super Bowl. He brought you to within a play of conceivably winning another. And at that point, you know, he's earned the contract. Like it's hard to overpay a quarterback who can achieve at the level that Russell Wilson achieves at. Yes. I mean, that's a mistake you should be and can be willing to make because someone's going to surpass him really soon. And then Jared Goff's turn will come up and, you know, Carson Wentz is apparently already down that path. Like, that's the one position you can afford to make a quote-unquote financial mistake. If Even if he doesn't earn every penny, he's pretty good. Yes, yeah. You can't it, do better than him right now. No, absolutely not. And it's the most important position in sports. And that's that's where I think it's so interesting where people will say, oh my gosh, you can't keep paying these quarterbacks this, that, and the third. Look, the salary cap is going to keep going up, right? And the more, the, the more experience the quarterback gets, the better he's going to be. And that sort of frustrates me with the – Oh, you know, they need to just trade him and then they got to get somebody younger and da 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 because, you know, you have a good enough offensive coaching staff, you can still do XYZ. I think that just completely disregards the benefit of experience that quarterbacks have. And especially when you like think about Sean Payton and Drew Brees, right? They basically have a symbiotic relationship at this point. They know what each other is thinking. You cannot dismiss that at the most posi- important position in sports to me. So that I don't I don't like the the oh trade your quarterback before he needs a new a new contract and then draft another one. It it just totally oversimplifies it. It's and to tie it all game. together, maybe that's what Murray and Kingsbury think that they can be. Yeah, uh, maybe 
to have that nucleus, that quarterback coach nucleus, you want it to be as airtight as possible. And maybe that's why they're willing to make the move that it seems like they're going to make. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. All right, JB, any parting shots before we get out of here? Did you want to take a stab at the opener in case we don't talk uh, Ooh, before schedule release? Yes, yes, let's do that. What? Go, you go first. I, I think that it's going to be the second Monday night football game again. I think that the Rams are an attractive team to put in that window. It's be like three out of the last four years. Yes, okay. so I tend to think it will be at San Francisco or at Seattle week one. Okay. Uh, if it is that Monday night window, you're pretty much restricted to division opponents, if I'm yes. not mistaken, right? Because it's a late start, so you need a West Coast opponent. You don't want to be like New Orleans is out, Dallas is out. I mean, I think they're out for other reasons, including like the competitive stakes of those games. You want them to be farther down the schedule if you're the NFL, but uh, just in terms of time zone, you can't be kicking off at whatever it is, 10-whatever in New Orleans on a Monday night, I don't think. Uh, I w- since we mentioned Arizona, I wouldn't rule that one out either. Okay, like if you do go Monday Night Football, Cliff's debut, Kyler Murray, number one overall pick. Uh, you know, I-, I could see that. Otherwise, you might just you might just draw the old Sunday afternoon game, kind of like Indianapolis a couple years ago. Uh, USC will be home to Stanford that week. I checked Saturday of Week One. Ooh. Um, so I always prefer to like not necessarily be up against a USC game from the day or the night before but yes uh one more year at the coliseum the renovated coliseum and then we don't have to worry about that anymore yes no doubt about that all right well everybody thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of between the horns love having you on the program jb good to see you miles here we go with season number two the spring season yes the spring season all right everybody for more on the los angeles rams and for all of your off-season coverage be sure to keep it locked on the rams.com